This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. We're going to be in John chapter 20. So open your Bibles to John chapter 20. If you want to use a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of us. The last thing I'll say as you're turning there is we have a card in the pew. If you have a prayer request, if you came in burdened about something today, you can write it on that card and you can hand it in with the offering. If you want to find out more info about our church, there's information on that card. You can text uh, a five-digit number, and we'll, it'll just kind of give you a link page to some of the info about our church as well as ministries. It's a great way for you to just connect to us uh, if you kind of want to do that on your terms. And so use that. Those cards are right in the rack in front of you. If there's anything else that you want to put on there, you can put them in the offering boxes uh, as well, and we will get those in the office. I want to thank the worship team. I want to thank everybody who's working to make this special service uh, happen. We're going to have a breakfast immediately following this. Got catered food, a lot of good stuff, and so please stay after and be a part of that. Now, John chapter 20. I can say without a hint of hyperbole that what we're celebrating today The day Jesus rose from the dead was the most important day in the history of the world. Here's how much it matters. If Jesus was not really resurrected, then what we should do is we should pack this all up. I should apologize for wasting your time. We should get in our cars and we should head home and we should never come back. That's the stakes that we're playing with this morning. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, let's pack it in and go home and not come back. This doesn't make any sense. But if the resurrection really did happen, let's just see together that it changes every little bit about our world and you and I can never be the same. You can't hear the news of the resurrection and say, huh, You can't say nice story, sounds encouraging, probably going to affect some of my life, but not the rest of it. That's not an option. We either pack it in and go home, or this is everything that we're about for the rest of our lives. And so in light of that, here's what we're going to do this morning. Because the the resurrection is is more than enough, uh, because I'm just sort of weary Leary, I suppose, is a better way of saying, trying to add anything, anything that I bring to this is just going to pale in comparison to the glory of the resurrection. I'm just going to do my best to keep this really simple. I want to get out of the way. I want to let the the majesty of the resurrection sort of wash over us. And then I want to try to pull three things out of the resurrection account that are great for us to focus on this morning. So I just kind of want to let the, the risen, reigning Christ be here. I want, to send, I want him to send us out of here then with sort of a life-altering, world-changing hope. And I don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting to make that happen. I think, I think the Bible is just going to do that all on its own. So I'm going to read a long section. I'm going to read from John 20, verse 1, all the way through 20, verse 3. Uh, verse 23, and then we will, I'm going to draw three things out of that. So follow along if you've got your Bible, Gospel of John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene 
came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But Jesus said, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to the brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So three truths about the resurrection that we see here. I could have done dozens. Let's just do, for the sake of time, three. First, the resurrection of Jesus really happened. Second, the resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for us to have a real relationship with him. And third, the resurrection of Jesus gives hope to the whole world. Now, I I chose each of those specifically, and and I think you will see how they fit together. Uh, I actually hope it goes a little bit like this this morning. Have you have you been to one of these new generation water parks? I'm not talking about the Dells, just kind of around town. When I was a kid, we went to the pool. 
That's it. It was just a pool, kind of big rectangle with water in it. Maybe if it was a nice pool, it had like a diving board on one end, right? Now they've got water slides, and there's like fountains shooting the water everywhere, and, and it, it's like splash pads or a thing. Like they, they, we didn't have any of this kind of stuff. And have you seen the bucket? You know, they, they have the, the bucket in it, and the bucket fills up, and then the kids, you know, wait under the bucket, and the, button ju- the bucket just, just kind of is like a deluge, just kind of washes all over them. They get soaked by it. And every time I, I sit there, and my kids are playing, I wonder, is one of my kids or is one of these other kids just going to get knocked down by the bucket? Because that's a lot of water in, in some of the buckets. And I mean, I would laugh at that. That's, that's kind of, that's the dad I am. I just, oh, that's funny. Um, that kid got knocked down by the bucket. You know, all these things. They also have the mister. You know, there's kind of like a gentle mist that sort of gets washed away in the breeze. That's where kind of the adults hang out, and it's just kind of on a warm day. It's a nice, cool mist. This morning, my prayer is that God makes us like the kids under the bucket, not the adults who stand by the mister. I don't want the resurrection to be for us a little cool in the breeze on a day. I want it to be something that soaks us. Maybe even knocks us over. Because that's how powerful it is. You should get knocked down when you're hit by it, especially the first time. The first thing that jumps out of here, the resurrection of Jesus really happened. And the implication of that is that everything is different now. Uh, So like I already said, if this didn't happen, pack it up, head home. But we don't have to do that because here's the truth. Every biblical marker and every historical indicator points to the resurrection happening just the way it's recorded in Scripture. So let's just start with what we've read. The first person to do these three things is Mary Magdalene. She discovers the tombs open. She is the first to see Jesus, and she's the first to announce to others that he's alive. All three of those, same person, Mary Magdalene. Now, at at this point in history, if you wanted to garner your attention, attention and you wanted to build support for your movement, You just wouldn't start with the testimony of a woman. Now, I will argue as often as it comes up that the biblical picture of womanhood celebrates and empowers women unlike anything else in history. But that took a while. Where we're at now, first half of the first century, if you're going to fabricate a story, you don't start with Mary Magdalene. The reason that John says she's the first to do these things is because she really was the first to do these things. He's simply telling the narrative the way it unfolded. Now, the second thing we learn is the burial claws that have been used to wrap Jesus' body are still in the tomb. The oldest lie that people used to, to turn people away from believing in the resurrection was to spread a rumor that Jesus' disciples came and stole his body. Here's how we know that didn't happen. Just before uh, we started reading, in John 19, 
we learn how Jesus' body was placed in that tomb. It was packed and wrapped in over 75 pounds of linen and spices. And the reason for that is because dead bodies begin decaying very quickly. And even within a day, that body would have smelled terribly. Remember, Jesus was also whipped. He was hung on a cross. A spear was shoved through his side and into his heart. His body would have been mutilated. No one who moves a body in that condition would unwrap it and take away the spices. It would have been gross. They don't do that. There's no evidence, no record. And this one's true as well. Nobody's ever been able to turn up anything like a body. History of the world, nobody's ever said, well, there it is. It's never happened. It's just a lie they told. They moved it. We don't know where they moved it. One more thing we read was that Jesus then appeared to a bigger group. It was obvious that it was him. whole group understood that it was him because he showed them where the nails were that went into his hands or kind of into his wrists. He showed them his side where he'd been stabbed into the heart. And what we know from history is that most of the men, and in fact, basically all of them who were part of this first meeting renounced every worldly comfort and spent the rest of their lives proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. It's known from history that probably all but one of Jesus' disciples died horrible, painful deaths. So they were imprisoned, tortured, martyred, but not one of them ever recanted his faith in Christ. So you might be able to suggest, you know, if it was one, maybe two kind of extreme zealots, they might use their life to sell what they would know to be a lie. But 11? 11 people? There's no way. And that's just his immediate disciples. You start multiplying out. Jesus had a much larger group of people that were relatively close to him. We know of the 12 disciples. Judas was replaced after uh, betraying Jesus. So there's 12, but there was a much larger group. There are stories of dozens and hundreds of people going to their death and being martyred for the cause of Christ because they knew him to be resurrected. One or two extremists, sure, I could get that. Hundreds? No way. And Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he'd been resurrected. So the bottom line is this. By any reasonable historical method, any reasonable historical inquiry, you arrive at the conclusion that the resurrection happened. And because it did, our lives can never be the same again. Leads us into the second thing that kind of rises out of these verses. The resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for us to have a real relationship with him. So look at verse 16 in your Bible. As soon as Jesus speaks, Mary knows that it's him. And she must have kind of reached out for him because the next thing he says is, don't cling to me. 
And the reason Mary can't and the disciples won't be able to either is his next move is going to be ascending to the Father. Ascension is what completes the resurrection. Jesus is is saying that where once he was known to them in the flesh, you know, they could sit with him and and kind of have a a face-to-face conversation with him, things are going to be different now. He's no longer going to be in the world. But here's the thing about that. You could look at that and think, oh, how sad. They must be really losing something. But that's not how Jesus means this. For him to ascend to the Father means that actually any believer, those who walked with him on earth, those who have been born in successive millennia, we can have a closer relationship with him because he ascended to the Father. Before they could sit with him, but now by faith, disciples of Jesus can be united to him. And being united to somebody is far better than being able to sit across the table from them. And here's what it comes to us when we're united to Christ. By faith, we trade the wages of sin, which is death, for the gift of God, which is eternal life. And the way that that happens by our union with him is that his death, the death he died, becomes our death. And the life he now lives after his resurrection and ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming again to judge all things and redeem all things, that's our life too. So without the resurrection, here's what every single person's life looks like. Everybody's. Doesn't matter if you think you're good. Doesn't matter if you think you're religious. Doesn't matter even if you think you're faithful. Without the resurrection, everybody's life is this. Our pattern is sin. The result is death. And it's pointless to hope because there's nothing we can do about it. But after the resurrection, we're united to Christ. His death frees us from sin and his life defeats death. So death is no longer what defines us or has dominion over us. This is how Romans 6, 10 to 11 says it. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. No matter how you walked in here this morning, No matter how heavy you may feel, what burdens from your past you are carrying, you can put those down. If you feel like you're alone, if you feel like it's you against the world, you feel like you're out of options and you have nowhere to turn, because of the resurrection, you never have to feel alone again. In everything, you can turn to him. Knowing that no matter what you think you're bringing to him, 
there's nothing you can put forward where he will say, nope, that's too far. I can forgive a lot, but I can't forgive that. No. The answer is always he can forgive more. That's exactly what it says in James. I love how he words it there. The question is, how much grace is God capable of? And the answer is more. But you just love that? How much grace does God have? More. How much grace do you need? God has more. Have you used it all up? No. Because there is more. If you repent and you ask for it, your sin will never outweigh the grace of God. You can't out-sin God's grace. And not only for you or for me, but anybody can get in on this. That's our third point. The resurrection of Jesus gives hope to the whole world. So the last verse, look at that one. Verse 23 says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. That might seem strangely worded. It does not mean that Christians individually or churches collectively can choose who receives grace and and who can't. It means that those who've been given grace know where it's found and they can call out and offer it to other people so that more and more people can come to grace together. It's the simple. Grace is withheld from the proud and the self-righteous and it's given abundantly to the humble person who repents of their sin and believes in the name of Jesus. That's it. Come to the end of yourself and come to the grace of God. Simple as that. Church, we don't have to be scared that God will run out of grace. He has more. It actually works like this. The more we invite others into grace the deeper into it we will go ourselves. Did you get that? The more we ask people and say, this is for you, the greater experience of God's grace we will have. Here's how that works itself out practically. The more you know of God's grace, the more you've experienced it, the more you will delight to see others come to the same expectation. And so you won't give up on people. You won't think that the person is incapable of grace. You will, you will pursue people. You will love people. You will delight when people come to grace because you're a person of grace. And if God can save you, you can save anybody. And this isn't the way it works with most other things in the world. This is so countercultural. This is so different. Our first inclinations are to think of ourselves, to worry that if others know what we do, what we're like, if, they, if, if somebody takes what should be ours, there won't be anything left for us. But that's not how it is with Jesus. Try him in this. The more people you invite in, the more of him you will see and know 
and the more you will love watching him work. If you feel like my faith feels a little stale, it feels a little anemic, I'm not sure if God's really doing anything in your life, here is your number one prescription. Go share the grace of God with somebody else and it will double the blessing because they will be blessed and you will be blessed in the sharing. If you like your face on life support, start proclaiming the grace of God available to other people. And it will be your grace too. Do you know what I want for our church? I want us to be addicted to grace. I want us to be so transfixed by the grace of God that we're obsessed with it. We walk in it, that we invite others to walk with us in it. I want for us to so look to confess sin because we know that if we do, we'll find freedom from it, that we're just looking to root out any little sin in our lives, not because we're trying to nitpick, but because we're so into the grace of God, we just want more and more and more. I I, I want for us to see that there has to be such a pervasive working of grace in our lives that we long for, we're, we're burdened to see other people know this grace too. And I want for us to be like addicts in it, that when we haven't had the grace of God in a little while, we begin to get a little jitter and we need to focus more on the grace of God. Let's be grace addicts. And that's possible because grace is given through the resurrection. But I'll lay it all on the line right here. Without the resurrection, there's no hope, there's no grace. But there is resurrection, it's real. Jesus lives, Jesus reigns, so there's grace. Always more grace. If you need God's grace for the first time today, ask God to give it to you. If you need it for the 10,000th time today, know that God has more, and when you need it for 10,001, he won't have even begun to get into the reserve supply. He has more grace. He's not annoyed that you come and ask for it. He's glad. He's not burdened by giving it to you. Because it is who he is. He is grace. And so for him to give grace is just to well up from himself, from something, a cistern that never runs dry. Grace addicts, believing, trusting, and giving away all grace because there is always more. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of church. Let's celebrate the resurrection because it seals for us forever God's yes and amen to Christ's work on the cross. And it seals us forever for life with God if we repent of our sin and we're in him. Let's pray.
Yes, God, the resurrection shows us that there is always more grace. May we forever dive into grace like somebody would jump into a pool and try to swim for the bottom but recognize that we can just keep pulling and pulling and pulling and we'll never reach it. There is always another stroke toward grace. There is always a deeper depth of your love to attain and to know, search out, to let wash over us. And so flood us with this this morning, we pray. This place and we are here because of grace. Praise be your name and hallelujah. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.